podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Shock Talk Podcast. This is our Wednesday episode. We said at the be- beginning of the last one, we're going to do three shorter episodes throughout the week. Um, we we talked about the KU Italy trip uh, and, and some of the, the news surrounding the team uh, since, since our break. But uh, today we're going to go ahead and jump right back in. We, we do have a little bit more to talk about um, concerning th- those, those overseas trips themselves. Uh, but then we're going to jump into the KU football team because obviously this week is the opener. For the, for the team, um, there's a lot to talk about that's going on in camp. So I'm joined again by David Potter and by Grad. How are you doing tonight, guys? Good. All right. Let's, Amazing. <laughs> that's always good to hear. All right, let's, let's go ahead and jump right back in. We'll actually pick up from our conversation from the Monday episode. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about the Italy trip, but the, the one thing I wanted to talk about that we didn't get to then was um, – you know, what do you guys think about these overseas trips in general? The, the NCAA only allows you to go once every four years. Um, but I, I don't know that the, the competition that they play is necessarily anything that really would help the team. Um, obviously, in most cases, the you know, U.S. college team completely overmatches whatever team that the hosting country can put together. Um, a lot of times it's about a, a ton of sightseeing. They get a ton of stuff packed into those few days that they're over there, so it's not like they're focusing a lot on basketball. Um, you know, there, there is a little bit of a, of a, a help there with the, the extra practice time that they get and things like that. But overall, do you guys think that everything is worth it at this point in terms of those, those overseas trips, or is it kind of more of a, a, a novelty or a spectacle? Let's, let's, let's go ahead and start with Greg. I, I like it from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, I know that a lot of different, you know, colleges can find ways to, you know, drum up some money and, and take a team, especially a team as small as a basketball team. I mean, that's one of the – in terms of the number of student athletes, I mean, you're looking at one of the smallest, you know, teams that, you know, college is going to field. Um, but, I mean, I think it's cool. I mean, I, with, with especially kind of with social media and, and all that going on these days, I mean – you got high schoolers, you know, guys that there's probably a decent amount of guys who, you know, are kind of like, oh, I've, I've never left the country or, you know, done much vacation wise, um, especially since so many of these guys, you know, as high school athletes, I mean, they're pretty much almost all their free time is devoted to, you know, playing on various, uh, apart from high school, you know, AAU teams and things like that, or, you know, tournaments and camps and things like that. So, you know, I think it's cool that, you know, if the coaches can go out there and it's a nice little carrot to dangle in front of people. It's like, you know, hey, not only do you get to come to Kansas, play, you know, one of the best programs in the nation, but, hey, did you know that uh, next summer we're going to go to Italy and, hey, here's some photos. And, you know, if they're, they're already following KU players on you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, things like that. They're looking like, wow, that, that looks like a lot of fun. And, you know, get to see a different part of the world. So, I mean, I think it's fine. It's, it's, it's a nice, like I said, it's a nice character angle in front of recruits. It looks like the players had a good time. So, I mean, as long as it's not costing the athletic department, you know, a ton of money, which we always have to, you know, worry about because, 
you know, we're always paying for a former football coach, you know, why not? Go ahead, knock yourself out. Yeah, I I think there's some uh, positive team building, uh, you know, elements to it too. Uh, just the the guys, especially the ones who are are new to the team, um, you know, getting to go to on an all expenses paid trip to another country where they get to go play basketball, and then the rest of the time it's sightseeing, hanging out, um, you know, chilling back at their hotel. It's it's something outside of just the everyday practice routine that probably will give them a chance to uh, mesh a little more. Um, I, I don't think it's a, it makes a huge difference, but, you know, I, I think it can't hurt. Um, and then, obviously, it gets them used to playing against actual competition other than, you know, just each other in practice. So, you know, I, I don't think it hurts at all. I, I, I think there are probably some um, positive aspects to it, but, you know, in terms of it really being a huge deal, like it, it being the difference between you know, winning the Big 12 or not, you know, obviously it, it doesn't make that big of an impact. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's just more of a, uh, like Grad said, it's a nice carrot to dangle for the young guys and, and the recruits. But um, in terms of actual impact, yeah, I, I, it, it's probably pretty negligible. But it's it's still positive, and if you've got the money to to throw at it, then you know, why not just let them enjoy themselves and, uh, you know, maybe become a little more of a tight-knit group. And, uh, you know, the, the, again, it just it can't hurt once the, the season rolls around. Yeah, I think I've heard, and, and, and I believe this is the reason that they've restricted it to once only every four years is because of all the extra practice time that they get. To prepare. Wasn't it just two years ago they went to Korea, or was that an, an exception because it was – they were they were representing the U.S. in in whatever that that competition was. Right. So so they represented the U.S. in the uh, World University Games, and that's actually okay. that's a separate a separate competition. They have like a bidding process for for teams to actually be able to represent them. Um, okay. Prior to uh, it was recently before KU was the one that actually went. I think it was like four or five years prior to that. They actually had um, they would go basically go make an, an all star team of of college players and just pick and choose them. They, they decided at some point that it made a lot more sense to find a program to kind of be the host where they would take that, you know, that program's roster and then fill out their um, international roster with a few other players that were kind of handpicked to fit into the system that they were playing. So this year, actually, Purdue is the one that's representing the U.S. in the World University game. Um, and so, so they, they're doing a similar sort of thing to what we had. Um, so they got a lot of extra practice time, but they didn't. It wasn't just their particular roster. You know, we we had Svi on our roster at the time, so we he wasn't able to participate for us because he was obviously not a U.S. citizen. Um, so they, there's a lot of that kind of goes into that. That that actually doesn't count. But I, I believe the reason that they restricted it to four or to once every four years is because of all that extra practice time. There was a big story that kind of broke when uh, Duke was was supposed to go on a trip this year also, and they got all their practice time. Um, and, you know, got all ready to go for the trip. And then I believe it was only like like three or four days before they were supposed to leave that that uh, Coach K decided, oh, I'm going to go ahead and have surgery, so we're not going to be able to actually go on the trip. Um, a lot of people made a big fuss about, well, I don't know there was a lot of outrage, but there was a lot of, you know, winking and nodding about, oh, he, he made such a smart move because he got all that extra practice time in but didn't actually have to go on the trip, didn't actually have to leave. Um, you know, the, the understanding that I have is that typically the actual trip themselves 
is more of a hassle for the coaches or more of a hassle for the for the program itself. But that extra practice time is a real valuable thing to kind of get your team ready. So I think the overall experience itself is good for the team, but I would say actually going on the, you know, but that's I think that's only because of the practice time. I don't think actually going on the trip itself helps the program or helps the team. It's, it's a really nice experience for the players. I, I agree with what you guys said, but I, I don't know that it's necessarily worth all that expense and, and all that extra time other than a kind of ex- exposure for the particular team that's going. I was kind of surprised by the Duke thing because usually Coach K waits till the team is struggling mid-season to schedule those surprise surgeries. Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, the, if the program is, is low on funds, if the athletic department, you know, is in any financial trouble, then, yeah, I, I would definitely say it's not worth it. But I, I don't think KU – um, has anything like that going on right now? And, you know, the, there's always, especially for the basketball team, there's pretty much as much booster, as much booster money available as they want. So, um, yeah, it, you, with as big of an expense and hassle as it is, if there were any question about money, then, then I'd be against it. But yeah, I, since there's not that, you know, let them, let them go and have fun. Right. I think the only other positive to it could be if you're going to a place where you're, trying to recruit like if like a Gonzaga going over to Australia for their overseas trip or something like that, um, you know, because they had that really big connection there for a while. I think that that could potentially be a good thing for it, but it's not like, you know, Kansas needs to go overseas to kind to, to find the kind of recruits they need for their program. So um, honestly, I think at this point, the main reason it keeps going on is one, it's a nice, a nice uh, trip for the guys to be able to take. Um, but then also, you know, it's all that extra practice time that lets them get ready. Uh, once every four years. So, any other thoughts about that? All right, let's 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 go into it then. Um, we're we're going to go ahead and move on to the football team. Obviously, that's kind of been all over um, this week since the you know college college football started this last Saturday with a few select games. Um, but the majority of the nation opens up this weekend. KU is opening up this weekend. Um, but before we get into that about the game. Let's go ahead and talk about kind of what's happened at camp um, and obviously a little bit before camp too. The first big story um, obviously was uh, Quiz Gonzalez being dismissed from the team. And then he was followed a few weeks later by Masia Long being dismissed from the team as well. Um, what thoughts do you guys have on, on either of those dismissals? Um, I mean, was, was anything you saw coming? Are you surprised by it at all? Um, and, and kind of what impacts do you think that that has on our, on our preparation for the season? I was disappointed to see uh, to see Quiz get kicked off. I, I wouldn't say it was a total shock because any time a guy gets significant playing time as a true freshman um, down at A&M in the SEC and then his sophomore year, he gets next to none and then he transfers. You know, it doesn't take much reading between the lines to know that there was an issue there. Um, so I, I think that any time you have a situation like that. It, it can't catch you too off guard that, that things go wrong at the next location. But I, I was disappointed because I'm looking at the stats now. He had 62 catches for 729 yards last year. I know there were a couple of uh, drops and a couple of muff punts that had fans frustrated with him, but he was probably the fastest guy on the team and, and had that explosive playmaking ability. And even though he's a smaller guy, he was able to catch some downfield passes just because he was fast enough to get open. Um, I know people are high on. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I've never heard it pronounced. I think it's Charlotte because it, he's from Louisiana. They tend to pronounce OT that way. Uh, but the Alabama transfer. I know people are excited about him, but 
you know, we're not we're not in a reloading situation at any position where, you know, it's just next man up and you can afford to lose a guy with as, as much athleticism as, as Quiv had. So I think that was that was a bit of a blow, especially since the uh, you know I, I think everyone's hoping to see a, a little bit better offensive line and maybe a, a more potent offense this year. Uh, Long we didn't know much about, but you know outside of the, the defensive line, the front four, there's there's not a whole lot of known commodities and, and positions of strength on the defense. So losing anyone who had the potential to contribute is uh, is a blow to the team. So. Um, you know, both of those are, I don't think any, you know, no one's expecting, you know, this to be a huge season for KU or even make a bowl game or anything like that. I don't think um, it, 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 either of those losses should really change what you're predicting out of the team this year. But we're just kind of in a position where we need, you know, all hands on deck, all the help we can get. So losing anyone who has, who has contributed or has the potential to, to contribute, you can't overlook it at this point yeah I, I think you know the, the, like David alluded to I mean the biggest problem here is depth um, and it, it's funny too I actually was uh, I was talking to someone about this the other day um, someone at my new job you know we were talking because I was like hey I went to KU and he's asking me he actually played college football um, so he was like oh my god I can't believe you guys made the Orange Bowl and it was funny, too, because I was talking about the Orange Bowl year and the year after, and I said, you know, really the, the big difference between those two years, I mean, obviously, you know, losing a guy like Akeem Tlaib or Anthony Collins, I mean, that's going to be a pretty big blow. But you'd think with other guys getting older, you could kind of offset that some. And I said, you know, really, if you look at it, going from 12 wins to 8 wins, the, the, the big problem was death and injuries. I mean, the Orange Bowl team – had an absolutely remarkable year injury-wise in that, you know, pretty much they, they didn't have injuries to really any key starters. They had a lot of depth, and, I mean, that was huge for the defense. I mean, the defense the year before was, was terrible. And, and you go forward one year, and they're a top-ten defense in the country just because, you know, they didn't have injury issues. And then all of a sudden you go to the next year, and, I mean, death issues everywhere. People are hurt, nicked up. Guys are playing at, like, you know, 40 50%. And, and, and it was noticeable. And, I mean, I think if that team had been, you know, healthy all year, you probably would have been closer to a 9-10 win team again. Um, so, I mean, that's really where, you know, things like this hurt the most. You know, Kansas probably has their best, you know, front seven that we've seen in the last several years. But, I mean, if a guy like Armstrong and Wise and, you know, Deneen, you know, have to play way too many snaps, they're going to wear down in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's exactly what we saw what happened the year before the Orange Bowl in 2006, where, you know, pretty talented team, but no depth and, you know, fourth quarter leads were blown. Guys were just exhausted. I mean, you could see guys just panting on the sideline in the fourth quarter and, you know, they blew an 18-point lead to A&M. They blew that 20-something point lead to Baylor, et cetera. So, I mean, depth is, is where it hurts. Um, as far as wide receiver, I mean, Gonzalez, I mean, he's a talented guy with the ball in his hands. I, I feel like they can offset that, though, a little bit. Um, one guy I'm excited about, if he can stay healthy, is Jeremiah Booker. Uh, when Booker was actually a freshman, uh, a few games he was healthy, he actually looked like the most promising receiver on the field. I mean, I remember, you know, saying to my friends, I was like, man, this guy's going to be awesome. You know, he's going to be a lot better than this, you know, Steven Sims guy. He can't even catch the ball. 
of course, fast forward two years, and Sims is, you know, probably legitimately one of the best receivers in the league. And, you know, Booker hasn't been able to stay on the field. But, I mean, if he can stay healthy, I mean, I think he's a pretty legit outside guy. Um, they got that recruit from Juco, Johnson, Kurt Johnson. Uh, he looks like, you know, kind of a similar guy to Gonzalez, you know, 5'10", buck 90, you know, speedy slot guy. Um, they recruited receiver fairly well the last couple of years. You know, which is nice to see. I mean, anytime you, you run an air raid offense, you're going to need receivers. And it seems like, you know, Beatty and the crew have kind of been able to cash in on that, um, you know, kind of assemble a decent amount of young guys. Um, there's guys like, you know, Ryan Shadler, you know, that or in Tyler Patrick, guys like that, you know, who can kind of fill in. So I, I think, you know, it, it's definitely it's not something you want to see. But if we were going to lose a projected starter at any position, you know, on the entire team, you'd probably pick receiver at this point, just because they've got a lot of bodies there. Um, they've got some, they got a proven guy in Sims already. They've got some guys with experience. They got some young guys that, you know, look like they may have some upside. So, you know, it, it's an unfortunate situation, but at least it happened at a position where there's a lot of depth and there's already a decent amount of production. Yeah, and I, I think kind of what you guys are both were talking about um, with the Quiz situation is, you know, obviously um, it, it definitely appeared that there was some some issues that he had in A&M that, that ended up getting him to transfer. Um, there was a lot of rumors that he was dropping down the depth chart. I mean, obviously, Steven Sims is kind of our locked-in number one wide receiver at this point with his speed. Um, he, he is clearly the fastest wide receiver that we had um, from last year just in terms of pure speed. Um, and, and so he was kind of locked in as a starter, and then we had a bunch of new guys that were moving up. Um, Quiv, I, I, the last I had heard, he was potentially going to be a fourth or fifth string if you're just talking, you know, just ranking them. And so he was clearly clearly trending down toward not, to not even starting the game. Um, and so that very well may have brought out some, some pre-existing um, you know, issues just in terms of, the way the way that he was dealing with the situation there. So, obviously, that's a lot of speculation on our part. But from 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 the different things that I've been hearing and you know, kind of his, his his history and what we've actually heard, it's not too far of a leap to think that maybe there was just, you know, he was he was dropping in the depth chart and he probably wasn't going to be as big of a um, factor on the on the offense as we were all thinking he was going to be because of last year. Now, granted, the 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 depth definitely would have been nice to have. Um, you never want to get rid of a talented guy um, if he's, you know, able to contribute still. Um, but it, it does start to sound like he wasn't necessarily going to be the huge portion of the offense that we had come to think of him as. So um, that being said, you know, it's it's kind of weird to talk about being able to weather the loss of any kind of talent on the offense, on an offensive unit that had such a hard time last year being productive, putting together productive drives and kind of helping out the defense. The, the defense, on the other hand, is kind of, you know, losing Messiah Long um, potentially could be an issue, but we didn't really hear enough from him to know just how much of an issue it's going to be. Um, he was he was very deep depth last year. Um, this year he was projected to kind of be a backup, um, so, so be in that second string, and so he was probably going to see time and was going to, be relied on to be at least somewhat effective. Um, but from everything I'm hearing, he wasn't, you know, kind of a, a breakout potential star or anything like that. Um, and then kind of given the circumstances of what's come out, obviously everything is um, kind of 
rumor at this point, there has been some, some, some talk about him having some legal issues. We won't get into the details there, but it, it definitely sounds like this is a case of um, the program, you know, wanting to make sure that there's no, there's no legal cloud over the program at all. So I don't, I don't necessarily break, blame them for breaking ties with him at this point. Um, there's probably other stuff going on that we just haven't heard about. Uh, but it doesn't look like either one is going to be a, a huge loss to the plans for this team. We do have other guys that are able to step up. Um, so hope, hopefully we just don't see enough injuries that this becomes a big deal later in the year for us. So the one other issue that has kind of been batted back and forth in camp is the fact that this team yet again has not named a starting quarterback for the first game of the year. Um, we, we went through this last year. Uh, you know, trying to figure out between Kozar and, and, and the other quarterbacks that we had on the roster. Um, you know, it, it was kind of a cloud hanging over all of the camp, and they never really settled the question um, with, with Kozar starting. And then, um, you know, we, we actually rotated through quite a few quarterbacks before finally we had to get to Stanley just based off of injuries and, and, and other situations. It seems like we're setting up for a similar situation this year just because we haven't heard a clear indication between Stanley and Peyton Bender. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Is there, is there someone that you guys think clear-cut should be the starter at this point? Um, can you think of any reason why it makes sense for them to be waiting this long to actually name the starter? Um, or, or is this all just a huge mistake of them going down this road again and kind of you know, giving everybody flashbacks to the problems we had last year? You know, I, not being in practice, it's hard to say, well, you know, this guy should be the clear-cut starter. It's not quite like last year where, you know, we'd all seen enough of Montel Cozart to know he shouldn't have been starting, and we'd seen enough from Ryan Willis to know that there was potential there. Uh, it's a little different situation with, you know, Bender having played a little bit with uh, Washington State two years ago and then having to go the Juco route this year or last year. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly what, what he looks like, how he fits into the offense. It sounds like it should be a good match, but – um, we don't know that for sure. Uh, and then, you know, we, we saw a little bit of Carter Stanley toward the, mostly toward the end of last year where, you know, there, there were some clear weaknesses there, but there, you know, he had some, uh, good attributes as well. Um, so, you know, not being in the practices, I, I, I can't come out and say, you know, this, this guy should be starting. The coaching staff is, is wrong for dragging this out. My biggest problem is, I guess I don't see any way that this means anything good for the offense or for KU football if they can't figure out who, who should be starting. Uh, because I, it, it's pretty clear, if nothing else, that with Bender you know, having to leave Washington State and go the Juco route, and with Stanley clearly not being you – know, he, he didn't do a bad job, especially for a freshman last year, but you know, he's not an all-Big 12 quarterback. You know, that, that means that he, either the coaching staff – is, is screwing around and trying to play games that don't need to be played, or neither one of these guys can separate from the other. And I think that is probably a better indicator of probably low-level quarterback play for this year than it is for high-level quarterback play. I can't imagine they're both just so impressive they don't want either one to be sitting on the bench. That just doesn't sound right given what, what we know of them so far in their careers. Um, and, and then given Beatty's history, I, I'll try not to go on a a real long rant here, but everyone who's read the comments section knows my feelings on Beatty's handling of the quarterbacks in, in recent years. You know, two years ago, we pulled Ryan Wells' red shirt for literally two plays in the opening week. And then two weeks later, when Montel Cozart's supposedly too sick to play, he doesn't even bring Willis in then. 
And then when uh, DeAndre Ford gets hurt, he puts the sick Montel Cozart in, and Ryan Wallace still doesn't play until Montel Cozart gets hurt the next week. So it, it was a bit of a clown show at the quarterback position two years ago. And then last year he charts out Montel Cozart as a starter who had just proven time and time again that he was not a, a Big 12-level starting quarterback. Um, so I just don't have a whole lot of faith in Baby's handling of quarterbacks based on what's happened so far. And, I, you know, nobody knows for sure how much of this is Baby and how much of it is, is Meacham um, in terms of making personnel decisions. But, you know, I again, I just don't see how this is an indicator of anything good at all for the program. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny because I, I, I tried digging into this a little bit. And for for starters, I went back and found the um, you know kind of the preseason press before the 2000 season, and Mark Mangino named Todd Reesing the starting quarterback before you know like it was earlier than at this point you know of the season. Basically, you know we're we're at what now six six days away from the opening game, and so you know I looked at that because I was like. You know, you had a guy who, you know, Reesing, obviously talented, um, showed some some really good flashes, and but albeit in some very limited opportunities. You had a guy in, in Meyer who, you know, had been with the program a year longer because he redshirted. Um, you know, definitely played a lot more as a freshman, uh, redshirt freshman. You know, had some had some nice moments as well great athlete, you know, kind of gave you that two-dimensional aspect, you know, being able to run the ball. Um, and so, you know, I was looking, I was like, man, you know, the whole the whole Meyer-Reesing battle had to have been pretty epic. I mean, really, came, and it sounded like it really came down to the wire. Yet Mark Mangino, who, let's just go out on a limb here and say, he's probably right now just a little more proven as a college football coach than David Beatty. I don't know if that's, you know, outrageous to say. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Um, a little more proven, you know, BCS win, 50 college wins, David Beatty has two. But anyways, um, you know, uh, oh, it's crazy. I can recite Mangino's record well, off the top of my head. Even, just, just, just to break in here real quick, even at that point in his career, Mark Mangino, I think, was more proven. David Bates. Oh yeah. I, I, oh yeah. He'd already been to two bowl games. I mean, yeah, he definitely knew yeah, what he was doing. Exactly. And <laughs> right. So go ahead. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, anyways, you know, I digress. But, you know, it, he even was like, okay, you know, this has gone on long enough. Like, I'm pretty sure I know who I want to be the guy. Let's give him a, you know, week or two or not even a little longer than that to really, you know, be the guy and, you know, to go to bed every single night as I'm the starting quarterback for this team. I'm going to go to bed that way. I'm going to wake up that way. I'm going to show up to practice that way. I'm going to go to class that way. I am QB1. And I think, you know, if you kind of read into a lot of the, the interviews around the time, and I dug up a bunch of old ones at like KU Sports, you know, Reesing actually said, yeah, you know, it was actually really nice for me to, you know, kind of know that I was the guy, you know, to have that preparation to really kind of mentally prepare myself as like, okay, like I'm the starting quarterback, rather than being like, I, I don't know if I'm starting or not. You know, and, and all of a sudden, here we are a few years later, and our current coach is doing that to our two quarterbacks. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, it's kind of like one of those things where, obviously, you, we, we saw success at, at this very school with one guy, so why not try to replicate that? But, 
who knows? Anyways, I, I thought the comments, though, you know, you hear from the coaching staff, um, you know, saying, well, you know, there's film on both guys, so we really don't want to tip our hat to each one. And I was like, well, that's interesting. So I actually, since I have absolutely no life after moving to a new city and my wife's still back in KC and all that, I rewatched the game, the KU versus Texas game. And literally, I mean, there's, there's uh, what film? Like literally our offensive drives have produced points. It's, you know, Stanley scrambles for 10, 15 yards to get away from pressure. You know, nice play with his feet. A couple nice long runs. You know, five-yard pass, six-yard pass, eight-yard pass, five-yard pass, another run, and then you know a touchdown or a field goal. I mean, I, I don't get I don't get the film aspect of it. I mean, it's not like this isn't a situation where one guy is like you know Cordell Stewart and the other guy is Peyton Manning. You know, where it's like literally like there could not be two more contrasting styles between the two. One. You know, there's going to be options and reads. And he's going to, the quarterback's going to be running the ball, and the, and the other guy is literally going to stand back there and can't run to save his life. So, I, I, I mean, I know that Stanley's a little more mobile than Bender, but, I mean, I don't think he's obviously – I mean, Stanley, he can make some plays with his legs, but he's not, he's not like a run-first quarterback. I mean, both of them are dropping back with the intention to throw the ball. So, I don't get it. I mean <laughs> – I don't understand. I, I think from a mental aspect, it would behoove KU and for the quarterback's sake, just to name a starter and, and let them adjust to that. I, I think, honestly, and we've seen Beatty do this before, I think sometimes he overthinks things way too much because he's in this mind frame of, oh, I'm, I'm the head coach and don't give our opponent, you know, any film advantage and, oh, you know, like we're going to keep people guessing. It's like, just, just don't overthink it. You know, like I, I feel like you know he's done that before, where he's like, "Oh, we're struggling with punt returns, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take over punt returns." And we saw how well that worked out, the worst ever. But I, just, just don't overthink things. I mean, I, I'd say just, just name a starter and let's get on with it. But clearly, they're trying to gain some sort of mental advantage and whatever. <laughs> right, and you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of make this comment now that if if they haven't named a starter by the time that this episode actually airs, I actually have been kind of planning for a little while to write an article talking about how just a big mistake that is. Um, you know, if 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 you think about it, in every other profession that we talk about, employees. Um, or, you know, performers are definitely helped by having a clear definition of what their role is. If you're trying to come together cohesively as a team, you know, maybe like a theater troupe or um, even just in my, in my office job, if I don't have a clear idea of what my role is, what my expectations are, what the hierarchy is in terms of who to know to, to expect what from, it causes problems for the team as a whole. And so, you know, Trying to, I, I guess, you know, decide between these two guys and not having a clear decision isn't enough of an excuse to not actually make a decision. And that's what they've kind of done is to take the cop out at this point. Originally, when this first kind of became a story, um, I was thinking it had something to do with what had been brought to light with our, our interview with the uh, editors over at uh, Frogs of War, the TCU site, um, talking about how, you know, Meacham has – uh, offensive coordinator Doug, Doug Meacham has kind of always uh, had a system where he likes to have a guy that can run a little bit more, and that kind of tips the scales in Stanley's favor a little bit. Um, but the indication that I got from 
from from Beatty and from everything that he said when he brought in Peyton Bender was that that's kind of who he would have preferred. So the only thing I can think of, you know, kind of as a third option is the fact that there's a bunch of disagreement um, on the staff as to who the starter should be. And they can't really come to a consensus at this point. Um, you know, the only thing that Beatty promised was that Meacham was going to be calling the offensive play. That's literally the only thing he promised. He didn't say that Meacham was going to get to implement his own system. He didn't tell, you know, say that Meacham was going to decide who the starters were. He didn't say anything about any of that. The only thing that he promised was that Meacham was going to be calling plays. Uh, so what we could be seeing here, and I'm hoping this is not the case, but really it's the only thing that kind of still makes sense to me at this point is that the reason they haven't decided on a quarterback is because they can't decide on a quarterback. They can't decide who gets to make that decision. And if that's the case, then that talks about some, you know, real deep-seated issues that we're potentially going to have with this offense this year. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong in this, and they really just have decided that it's not that important to, to name a starter. Um, but, you know, we the, there was an, an article that kind of broke over the weekend um, talking about how Florida um, hasn't named a starter yet. They've actually said they may have three different quarterbacks playing in their season opener against Michigan. Um, you know, and it's a huge story. They've been talked about. It's kind of a laughing stock at this point because they can't get their act together um, and, and name a starter. And so I think we're kind of in, in a similar situation. Unless they just are trying to be cute and trying to decide that they don't want to give anyone kind of any sort of advantage, um, you know, I, I can't think of it as anything good at all. And, and even then, that's not a good look for the program that they're that worried about Central Michigan the week after. Um, you know, that they, they can't give them an extra few days of prep time knowing who our starting quarterback is going to be. Um, you know, obviously the hope is that we're not going to be, you know, showing enough of our of our trick plays or of our high-level playbooks that Central Michigan is going to get a huge advantage anyway. So I don't see how not naming a starter for another four or five days is, is, is going to do us any good at all. Uh, the only thing I can think of is it's going to hurt the team because we won't have those clearly defined roles. Um, you know, and, and the guys, again, won't be able to know who the starter is, who the backup is, and kind of get used to those roles before we actually get into game action. So any other thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I mean, whatever the decision ends up being, whether it's Bender or Stanley, I just hope that they have, they name a starter and that they give him, you know, some rope to you know, make a couple of mistakes early on and not – constantly be looking over his shoulder thinking, you know, one bad throw and, and the other guy's coming in. Because I think that's worst-case scenario, that or, you know, a, a rotation. I, I absolutely don't absolutely don't want to see that um, because it's not, you know, it's, it's not like we've got Tim Tebow in there to come in for short yardage situations or anything like that. If there's a rotation, it's just because they don't know who to put out there and they're just hoping one of the guys can, can separate on the field. Um, but I think they, if it's that a, a rotating thing where they're they're alternating drives or or you know one guy is getting the you know the every third drive or what you know whatever it is, um, or you have a situation where you know they name you know say it's Bender out of camp because he had just a slight edge, um, but you know they there's you know they feel like Stanley's right there. I think the the worst case scenario is a situation where the team doesn't really know who their quarterback is because either it's alternating drives or you know as soon as one guy messes up they're going to trot the next guy out there to see what he can do. Um, yeah, you know, we saw 
I, I know this is a hot button issue for uh, for grad, but we saw in Turner Gill's first year, you know, Kale Pick had a couple of, you know, had the offense was struggling a little bit in the first game, and he gets pulled for Jordan Webb, and then never really goes back to quarterback the rest of the year. So angry um, about that. Yeah. Why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> you just, you know, it, you've got to, whoever it is, I, 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 there just has to be one guy, and whoever it is, needs to have the confidence that, you know, it's going to take, you know, monumental screw-ups and, and, you know, really not playing well for him to lose the job. Because, uh, like, like, you know, going back to your point, Andy, the, uh, you know, not knowing what, you know, having clearly defined roles, if everyone on the offense knows that at the drop of the hat they could have a different signal caller back there at any point, and, you know, if, if, if they re- really truly don't know who it is and nobody's getting all – the first team snaps right now in practice, then it's just more chaos and, and more confusion. And that's just something this team and this program absolutely doesn't need right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you need as much stability as you can get. Yeah. It takes a very specialized system to be able to run more than one quarterback. I actually played line um, in, in middle school and, you know, even at that level, having a different quarterback meant that you were trying to, you know, read his tendencies a little differently. Um, you know, the way that he, you, you, there was a lot that went into it, being even able to play on the line to know how is your quarterback going to react to pressure from this particular area? Is he going to read the defense a certain way? You kind of had to build that rapport with your quarterback. You had to know and anticipate what he was going to be able to do in order to make sure that you were providing the protection that was needed for him. And that was just at a middle school level. I mean, so that obviously it's a lot more complicated at the college level. You've got much better athletes who are going to be able to take advantage of those momentary lapses a lot quicker. So it's definitely important to kind of build that rapport as early as possible and to make it second nature so that when you're looking at a defense as a lineman, you, you have an idea of how the quarterback's going to read that, what he's potentially going to do, and you can anticipate where you need to get for that. So the longer it takes for them to kind of hone in on that, the more the linemen are having to think about, the more the entire offense is having to think about, and the harder it's going to be to get this offense to gel. And that's what we really need. Well, what's, what's interesting, too, about that is it, it's a mistake that Mangino made himself and also learned from and corrected. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, Mangino's first couple of years we had Bill Woodmore, I mean, like, he was obviously the guy and clearly the best quarterback on the team. But after him, I mean, injuries injuries in 2004 um, were a big reason why we shuffled so many quarterbacks. If you look at 2005, I mean, you had, like, Adam Barman starts off the year, and after, like, a game and a half gets pulled for Brian Luke. And then Luke gets pulled back for Adam Barman. And then Jason Swanson comes in. And then they try – I think they tried Luke maybe one more time, and then, like, Swanson kind of, like, permanently got the job when he got healthy. I mean, Mangino was, like – really kind of like notorious for just yanking quarterbacks out. I mean, like it, it was funny too, because we used to joke, like we, we would go to games and you'd watch and like all the quarterbacks would be standing on the sideline, like chin straps buckled, like ready to go in the game. Cause you, you just, you had no idea when Mangino was just going to get pissed off and be like, Luke, you know, and, and just put someone new in. And and it's funny too. And in the media, actually, the local media like started kind of like, you know, grilling him about that a little bit. And was like, "Good lord, dude! Like, is it that hard to pick a quarterback and, and, and stick with him? Uh, especially the the year it was the, my sophomore year, 2005, when 
and went seven to five on the Houston Bowl. I mean, they like I don't think any, there was really that many injury issues to the quarterbacks that year. Mangino just like legitimately was pulling guys left and right. Um, it was, and the reason I bring that up is then you fast forward to you know Reesing and and, and Meyer, you know, had that really contested camp. But if you actually look at the season, Todd Reesing was not good the first couple Big Twelve games he played it. Like, straight up not good. He threw three interceptions against K-State, his first league game. Uh, the next week after that, um, against Colorado, a game they won, from a passing perspective, he was pretty bad. I mean, actually, one of the scoring drives we had was he, he broke off like a super long, was like, like a 60-yard run or something like that. But apart from that, I mean, our defense, like, really just straight up won us that game. And... Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, there was the Nebraska game where he put on the clinic, and that was awesome. But it was funny, too, because I remember, like, when, when KU went out there against K-State and reaching through a pick on, like, the second play of the game, I was, everyone all of a sudden was like, oh, God, <laughs> you know, it's Terry Meyer coming in. I mean, because Mejia was so notorious by yanking guys and having a short leash. But he stuck with Reesing, and even though Reesing, you know, for three picks against K-State and kind of struggled early on league play, you know, really kind of hit a stride a couple weeks later against Baylor and then Nebraska, um, you know, it, it paid off. And there, we didn't have that kind of, like, musical chairs. And it was interesting, too, because a lot of people thought it was a possibility. Because they're like, well, Reesing, you know, he, he's been really good in the non-con, but – you didn't really play anyone like anyone could put up numbers in Florida International which you know isn't necessarily a you know a wrong point to make but you know it seemed like Mangino went from yanking guys left and right to finally being like you know what like I think Todd Reesing is the best quarterback on this team I know Kerry Meyer is a very good athlete he's very talented he played for us last year um, he was the starter de facto starter last year except when he was hurt we're sticking with Reesing. He's our guy, and it paid off for him. So, I mean, just to use kind of like a recent example, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens and if whoever wins the starting job, especially because obviously it's a very, you know, contested, close battle. I mean, is it going to be like KU in 2005 where, honestly, like week to week, you pick up the Kansan on campus and you're like, well, I wonder who's going to be our starting quarterback? Or is it going to be more like 2007 where Manchito finally said, you know what? This is our guy. I'm sticking with him. I think long-term he's the best player. He's the best solution. He has the highest ceiling, and he's going to be our quarterback. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see which road they take. And hopefully it's the latter. Yeah, right. I would agree with that. <laughs> All right. Any other final thoughts before we wrap up for today? All right. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there then. Um, we will, for those of you listening, we will be back with one more episode this week on Friday. Uh, we're actually going to break down – as much as we can, this this uh, upcoming game, um, the season opener, and kind of what we expect to see. Um, I think we'll, we'll we'll talk not only about the season opener, but kind of the season as a whole. So make 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 sure you join us next time on the Rock Chalk Talk podcast. Podcast Network.